Well, hello, Lake Road Saints. Uh, it is Saturday morning, uh, March 21st, when I'm recording this, and um, I just wanted to be able to share what the Lord had given me. Uh, I'm going to be speaking out of Isaiah chapter 43, and this was actually a passage of scripture that I read a few weeks ago um, before a lot of the quarantine started um, regarding the coronavirus, um, but as I continued to meditate on it, it, it seemed to be a, um, a fitting message to give at this time, but really it was not driven so much by our circumstances as much as just the Lord giving it to me in my daily reading uh, a few weeks ago. So let's go ahead and uh, open up to Isaiah chapter 43, and I'm going to begin reading in verse 1. We'll read verses 1 through 7. So Isaiah 43, verses 1 through 7. But now, thus says the Lord your Creator, O Jacob, and he who formed you, O Israel, do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name, you are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you, and through the rivers they will not overflow you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be scorched, nor will the flame burn you, for I am the Lord your God the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I have given Egypt as your ransom, Cush and Seba in your place. Since you are precious in my sight, since you are honored and I love you, I will give other men in your place and other peoples in exchange for your life. Do not fear, for I am with you. I will bring your offspring from the east and gather you from the west. I will say to the north, give them up, and to the south, do not hold them back. Bring my sons from afar, and my daughters from the ends of the earth. Everyone who is called by my name, and whom I have created for my glory, whom I have formed, even whom I have made. And so I wanted to consider with you three things from this section. The first being the certainty of trials. The second, the promise of God's presence in the midst of trials. And the third, the basis for God's help. So the certainty of trials, the promise of God's presence in the midst of trials, and the basis for God's help. So the first thing I want to look at here is the certainty of trials. Um, notice it says, when you pass through the waters and when you walk through the fire... God speaks as though this is a certainty and something to be expected. We would rather this verse say, if you pass through the waters and if you walk through the fire. More than likely it won't happen, so don't get too worried about it. But that's not what it says. It's very matter-of-fact. When. The certainty of trials is found all over the Bible. In Acts chapter 14, verse 22, Paul and Barnabas said, through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. And in 1 Peter 4.12, Peter says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you, which comes upon you for your testing, as though some strange thing were happening to you. Notice how plainly Peter tells his readers, Look, don't let this surprise you as though this is something unusual that is happening to you. You should expect trials. Jesus said in John chapter 16, verse 33, These things I have spoken to you, so that in me you may have peace. 
In the world you have tribulation, but take courage, I have overcome the world. Well, why are trials such a certainty? And there's two things I want to look at on this. First, we live in a fallen world. Sin has affected every part of our life. You go back to Genesis right after the fall, and what does God say? To Eve, bearing children is going to be painful. This natural function is now going to include pain. And to Adam, God says that the ground will be cursed. Adam will have to work and toil to harvest a crop. The ground will easily produce thorns and thistles, but Adam will have to toil to gain his harvest. In other words, because of the fall, there will be trials in everyday situations. We see it being played out currently. There is a pandemic going on with this coronavirus. People are sick and dying. People are scared. People are out of work. There is fear of sickness. There is anxiety about money. There are inconveniences all around us, some of them small and in, uh, insignificant, and others are much more uh, important or serious. Why? Why this virus? Why this pandemic and all the sickness, death, and hassle? Because we live in a fallen world. Someone loses their house and all their belongings in a house fire. Why the trial? God is sovereign in these things and has many purposes we don't see and can't understand. But one thing we do know, we live in a fallen world. A loved one is sick in the hospital and another loved one dies. Why? Again, God has many purposes. But one thing we know, sin has corrupted every part of this world, including our physical bodies, and now we experience sickness, death, and loss. But second, we can expect trials in this life because we are following Christ. The path of the Christian is not a smooth meadow filled with roses. There is toil and hardships and suffering because we are following Christ. 1 John 3.13 says, Do not be surprised, brethren, if the world hates you. Jesus said the same thing. The world hated Jesus, so we should expect that they will hate us too. Much of the New Testament deals with the trials and persecutions that the Christians were facing. It was very real. Many lost their lives. Most, if not all, experienced suffering, trials, and persecutions. And all this because they were followers of Christ. By God's grace, we live in a country where there is freedom to worship, and generally speaking, protection from persecution. But brethren, we shouldn't expect this to always be the case. Even now, there can be varying levels of trials that we face as a result of being a Christian. Maybe trials in the workplace. Maybe trials with lost family members. Maybe trials with neighbors. But one thing should be clear to us from the Bible. We will have trials. They are a part of living in a fallen world, and they are a part of being a Christian. Now, as a side note, aren't you glad that the Bible is so practical and prepares us for this certainty? How hard would it be to read the Bible and think the Christian life is a life of comfort and ease 
and then get surprised by trials and suffering. We wouldn't know how to respond. But God, in his infinite wisdom, prepares us for this by filling his word with the expectation of trials. So we can be thankful to the Lord that he has prepared us for this and has given us his word. Well, secondly, the promise of God's presence in the midst of trials. If it is a certainty that we are going to face trials and tribulations in this life, what is the best thing that God could give to us as we go through the trials? More faith? When you go through the water and through the fire, I'll give you an extra supply of faith. More strength? More joy in the midst of trial? These are all good things, and God does increase our faith, and he does give us strength and joy. But is that the best thing he can give us? What about affirming words? I believe in you. You've got this. You're equipped and ready to face this trial. We often do this with our children when they are feeling timid and afraid of something they have to do. We oftentimes encourage them. Think of a little kid who has practiced and practiced for their recital and they are feeling nervous about performing. We tell them things like, remember what you've practiced. You can do this. I believe in you. And then we go and we cheer them on. But we would only do that if we really knew that our kid was equipped in some way to face that task. If it was something entirely new and overwhelming for them, would we give them a pat on the back and say, Go get them, kid. I'll be on the couch thinking about you. No. What is the one thing we could do that would both help and encourage them? We could tell them, I know this is hard, but I'm going to be with you is I will help you. A parent's presence is the best thing that can be given to an overwhelmed child. Is a child afraid? Mom or dad's presence will comfort them. Is a child weary and tired? Mom or dad holding them or carrying them is what they need. Is a child overwhelmed? A parent coming alongside and helping them will give them strength. Brethren, that is what God does for us, only infinitely more. He doesn't give us a pat on the back and send us into the furnace. He goes with us. Think of Daniel's three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. When those three friends were cast into the furnace, King Nebuchadnezzar saw four men in the furnace, and the fourth, it says, had the appearance like the son of the gods. Well, what was that? That was God's presence with them in the furnace. In Psalm 23, verses 4 and 5, it says, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You have anointed my head with oil. My cup overflows. Here, David says, even though the outward circumstances are reason to be afraid, such as walking through the valley of the shadow of death, or being in the presence of his enemies, he won't fear. Why? Because he's strong? Because he's had a lot of experience? No, because God is with him, for you are with me. In Acts chapter 18, verses 
um, verse 9 and 10, it says, And the Lord said to Paul in the night by a vision, Do not be afraid any longer, but go on speaking, and do not be silent, for I am with you, and no man will attack you in order to harm you, for I have many people in this city. Notice again, the reason God gives Paul to not be afraid has nothing to do with Paul himself. It is based on God's presence. Do not be afraid any longer, for I am with you. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 16 and 17, Paul says, At my defense no one supported me, but all deserted me. May it not be counted against them. But the Lord stood with me and strengthened me, so that through me the proclamation might be fully accomplished, and that all the Gentiles might hear, and I was rescued out of the lion's mouth. God's presence is what we need when we are in a trial, but it certainly is a blessing to have brothers and sisters around us to help and encourage us. But sometimes, like Paul, we are left alone. Paul says that no one supported him, but all deserted him. Did that send Paul into a tailspin? Did he crumble under the discouragement? Why not? Because the Lord stood with him and strengthened him. Before Moses died, he gave a charge to Joshua, and this is what he said in Deuteronomy 31, verse 6. Be strong and courageous. Do not fear or be in dread of them. For it is the Lord your God who goes with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. And then the Lord repeats it two verses later. It is the Lord who goes before you. He will be with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. Do not fear or be dismayed. Notice the reason for Joshua not to fear was that the Lord would be with him. But also notice it's not just an avoidance of the negative, don't fear, but an encouragement towards the positive, be strong and courageous. God's presence doesn't just drive away fear, it strengthens us and gives us courage to press on. Well, third, the basis for God's help. We can be certain that we won't be left alone in the midst of a trial because God has promised to never leave us nor ever forsake us. As we just saw, he will be with us. His promises are certain. But we may wonder, why would God do this? What is the reason or the basis for his presence with us? Well, we have the answer here in this passage in verse 4. Since you are precious in my sight, since you are honored, and I love you. The love of God is the reason. There is no stronger, more firm foundation than this, God's love. What if the reason for God's presence was in us? What if this passage said, I will be with you in trials because you are so faithful to me? Or, I will be with you because you love me so much. That would be very terrifying and unsettling. Why? Because we know how prone we are to fail in faithfulness to the Lord. And we know how cold our love can be at times. If the certainty of God's presence in the midst of our trials was based on anything in us, 
we would have no assurance of God's presence. But it isn't that way. God's promise of his presence with us is based on himself, and he doesn't change. Malachi 3.6, For I, the Lord, do not change. God's promise to be with us is based on his love for us, his love for us, not our love for him. How can we be certain of his love for us? Will it ever change? Romans 8.35 says, Who will separate us from the love of Christ? And the answer is in the verses that follow. So beginning in verse 38, it says, For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That covers every possibility. God's love won't cease in life or death. Angels or principalities won't stop God from loving us. Keep in mind the power of angels and principalities. A single angel of the Lord destroyed 185,000 Assyrians in one night. That's a lot of power. When Satan fell, a third of the angels fell with him. That's a lot of power. Not even all the powers of hell can separate us from the love of Christ. What about something present? What about the trial you're facing now? No, nope. nor things present. But what about some big trial that is yet to come? There are some frightening verses about trials at the end of the age. Will that separate us from the love of God? No, nor things to come. What about earthly powers, evil kings, evil rulers, evil men? Nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Brethren, that is certain. God's love for us won't fail. Well, back in Isaiah 43... Verses 3 and 4, it says, For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I have given Egypt as your ransom, Cush and Seba in your place. Since you are precious in my sight, since you are honored and I love you, I will give other men in your place and other peoples in exchange for your life. If you are like me, this almost makes me uncomfortable. God loved Israel so much that he sacrificed other nations, other people for them. It's one thing to say, I love you more than Egypt and Cush and Seba. But God says he will give other people in exchange for Israel's life. Imagine you were a political prisoner and were awaiting execution. How would you feel if you found out that the president worked out a deal and secured your release, but gave up someone else to be killed in your place. That would be hard to think that someone else was killed in your place. But what if you found out the other person volunteered to go sacrifice himself for you? Instead of it seeming unfair, 
you would feel unworthy, and rightfully so. Brethren, this is the gospel. God has given someone else in exchange for your life. He has given his son. John 3.16 For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. If God has sacrificed his son for us because of his love for us, he won't stop loving us. The cost was too great. The cost of his son is assurance that his love will never cease. So to summarize, trials are a certainty, but God is with us in our trials. And the basis for his presence is his love for us, which will not cease. Well, may the Lord help us and may the Lord bless you in this coming week.